Welcome to International Insights, stories from the real economy. My name is Josh Kembry. By early 2019, a Maltese company had become the third largest provider of English language education in the world. With 22 schools spread across six countries, EC Language is the living example of a global company with Maltese roots. When COVID-19 hit, the company's business model was shaken. Students could no longer travel to learn English, and the company dived into a crisis never experienced before. Our guest today founded EC Language in 1997, grew it to become a global leader in the language sector, and navigated the company through its toughest chapter. In today's episode, we focus on leading an organization out of a crisis, how the leadership of EC Language took tough decisions, persisted against the odds, and led the international company out of a perfect storm. Andrew and John, great to have you here on International Insights. We want to start with giving us a little bit of an appreciation of what the company was before the COVID pandemic. Well, as you know, Joe, this is a homegrown company. Uh, we started off here in Malta, and over the years we grew substantially. Um, in 2019, we were operating 30 adult, all-year-round, um, full immersion language schools in eight countries, spanning from as far east as um, Auckland and New Zealand, all the way to three schools in Cal California, um, in you know the Western United States. Um, we employed around almost 1,100 um, full-time staff with the company from all over the world, of course. And in summer, we'd take on another 600 staff that would come on for, to run our young learner centers, of which we had, again, almost 30 young learner centers okay. that would pop up in the summer. Um, and sort of a group turnover of just over 100 million in net revenue. That's really a multinational, essentially. And um, with head offices in Malta, essentially, no? Yes, I mean, uh, we, our head offices actually spanned three countries. Okay. We, had, we had the largest bulk of our head office team, almost 100 staff uh, based in Malta. Um, we had another um, head office in London and a third head office in, in Boston. And to your point about a multinational, we were very much a multinational, but without the size of a of sort of multi-billion multinational. Yeah, absolutely. And what happened when, when COVID hit, essentially, to a company like yours spread all over the world with all these you know, complications you're mentioning? I mean, I'll just take a step back from COVID. The whole reason or one of the reasons why we built an international company was that if ever there was a crisis in one country, we could just pivot or move divert students into other countries. So, you know, if you had a, a madman in the White House, as we did have um, in 2016, yes. 17, you could divert students into Canada. COVID hit us almost instantaneously in every single country. And in the space of two weeks, between mid-March of 2020 and end of March, we had to shut down all of our schools around the world. I mean, it was a catas catastrophic sort of event for us. Never... Uh, have we seen anything even vaguely like it? And, and did it hit immediately or kind of at which point were you realizing this is something which is going to be long term with a strategic impact on the company? Look, Joe, I think the realization spanned about two months. The first crisis management meeting that I called um, specifically concerning COVID was on Friday, the 24th of January 2020. 
and I remember, you know, at the time speaking to some of our, you know, our members of our team, our bankers, nobody had any idea about COVID, but we have office, we had offices in China and our staff were already contacting us saying, listen, there's something really strange going right. on in Wuhan. Okay. Our numbers have dropped. Chinese students are not coming out of China anymore, particularly where the Wuhan area is. You need to look at this. So we had a crisis management meeting and then we spent all of February modeling, you know, potential impacts um, and, you know, constantly changing those models. By early March, it was clear that this was going to be widespread. Uh, we didn't know how long it would last, but, but we knew it was going to be bad. Yeah. And it affected you, I guess, because your, m most of your model is a full immersion model where students fly in to learn English in a country. Absolutely. So, so I mean, we have we have eight we had eight destination countries being primarily um, native English speaking countries. So the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Malta, Ireland, and so on. And then we have source markets. So our source markets are pretty much the rest exactly. of the world. So exactly. coming in from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we actually watched COVID move across the planet from east to west. Okay. And what was happening? You were, I guess, laying off stuff and, and downsizing certain, certain areas. Well, I mean, obviously laying off staff misses a crucial point that came first. Okay. The first point that came was just complete shock and disbelief. Right. You know, and, and it, it, took us, it took us a bit of time to sort of actually, you know, get off the ground and start doing something. I mean, not long, but, but the shock was we cannot sort of, you know, gloss over what shock it, it was to us. Um, but yes, I mean, we were doing everything. We were having to reduce our costs dramatically. Um, we we're having to conserve, you know, the little cash that there was. We were trying to raise funding, um, uh, everything, basically. Give me a sense of, you know, you as a CEO of the organization, kind of how, how would it feel, you know, trying to take, take all these decisions when the landscape is changing so much, essentially? Look, <laughs> <laughs> it probably took me about three, four weeks to, to sort of fully come to terms with what was happening. Right. And it was, it was a very difficult few weeks because um, I think when that realization really set in that this could be existential, it was an existential right. threat, you just have to come to terms with it. Mm -hmm. and, and then you, you just get on with it. And you, you just, you know, you, you basically start operating. It's fire after fire after fire after fire. And we were putting out fires for the best part of two years right. or longer. Um, so, you know, then it's really rallying your people around you. Okay. It's, it's working with your people. It's, um, it's just doing whatever you, you can do to, to get across this raging, River, which we didn't know where the end of it was. You exactly. Know? And how was the situation with you know your senior management team? I guess, and what what kind of initial decisions were you taking to essentially try to steer the ship in some direction? Look, I mean, the first our first major concern, which was immediate, was we had six thousand students in our schools around the world. They were with us when COVID was breaking. They were with us when the initial government announcements came out shutting down schools. The first one, incidentally, was our school in Dublin, shortly followed hours later by Malta that shut down, you know, all schools. Um, and then it just moved across the rest of the globe. Um, but, you know, the first concern was we have 6,000 students with us. We have 1,000 plus staff. 
you're thinking about people's safety. We had to start repatriating students because, you know, half of them left almost immediately, people wanting to get home. The other half stayed on. We wanted to continue to provide the service to them. So in the space of literally two weeks, we pivoted completely from a bricks and mortar face-to-face -face model to an online model and our team were just unbelievable. I mean, we became an online company almost overnight. Um, so we continued to provide the service um, uh, and then it was thinking about like, you know, how are we going to stem cash flow? How are we going to stem outflows? How are we going to retain cash? Because, you know, ultimately, it's, it's, as you know, it's not profitability that kills a company, it's cash flow. So, so it was, we were doing everything. We became experts at going out there to find government funding. We, we had to lay off, obviously, large numbers of, of staff. We had to sit down with 28 landlords around the world, from okay. pension funds to individuals to, you know, nice people and really horrible people. And, you know, we had to sort of renegotiate terms on our, on our, on our rental agreements. Um, uh, we cut costs. We, it, all of us took massive haircuts in our packages. I mean, you know, I went home and, you know, told my wife, you're now making about twice or three times that I'm making. And, and it was the opposite way around before. before that. So, you know, it, yeah. we, we just had to do everything. It wasn't one thing, Joe. It was, it was, it was a, whole, a, whole, a whole storm. Yeah. And what was the impact on, I guess, the morale? And people, you know, stood up um, uh, to, to the whole thing. But at the same time, I, I guess it had an impact on the way the, 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 the way people thought and functioned. You know? Yeah. Um, look, the one thing we we did, and I think we did well at the outset, was to communicate. Okay. Um, I think when people go into shock, they stop communicating, mm -hmm. which is the worst thing because when you're not communicating people will generally gravitate towards the worst scenarios. And the scenarios, all the scenarios were, we're not we're, good we're scenarios, really let's be clear. But um, we communicated. We, we communicated with our senior, with our executive team on a daily basis. We had weekly huddles with our boards, whereas normally we would meet quarterly, but there were weekly huddles with our boards, constantly testing for solvency, of course, because, you know, it's a big responsibility. Um, uh, we had um, weekly huddles with our complete senior management team, okay. which was about, at the time, about 65, 70 people around in, the in world. In different places, that's In 17 time zones. Mm -hmm. um, so it was communication. We communicated with our agents, we right. communicated with our students, and we're just telling them what we're seeing, what was happening. Um, so, so that helped morale, obviously, because people felt that they had a line to exactly. you, they could speak to you, they could mm -hmm. reach you. Um, but, I mean, you know, we had to communicate the brutal facts. And the brutal facts were, you know, a lot of people were going to have to step down, take unpaid leave yeah. or lose yeah. their jobs. Exactly. Um, uh, there was no way of go going essentially around, around that simple, simple and, and let's remember that governments were also like deer in the headlights. It took time for governments to react and start putting out safety packages or, you know, um, packages to sort of help safeguard jobs um, and so on. Um, you know, so, so it, it probably took a couple of months. Um, and uh, in fact, one of the first countries that came out was the United States that came out with these PPP loans, right. which saved okay. us. I okay. mean, if it wasn't for that, you know, by the time other governments got their act together, it may have been too late. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the, the crisis lasted two years or so. 
Um, at, at which point where you I like to think we're still coming out of it uh, ex yeah. now exactly yeah. at which point were you you know somehow you know finding a, a broad map of how to navigate the company out of it look one, one thing I was very clear about in my mind um, is that nobody in living history had ever seen anything like this okay so I mean you know the last time there was something like this was probably just over a hundred years ago, the Spanish flu. And, you know, while I do have some mature people sitting on my board... They're not that old. They're not that old, <laughs> right? So, so I knew that, that none of my team, none of my boards, none of my investors had ever seen anything like this. So we were going to be breaking new ground at every single juncture. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, it was really about, you know, it, it, this is the analogy I use. It felt like looking at a raging torrent that was so wide you couldn't see the other shore. And all you have is one stone in, front, in, in your hand and you can throw that stone into the water and step onto it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to look for something else. And that's what it felt like. Absolutely. But there were, I guess, milestones, um, decisions you've taken when things started finally, you know, to look a little bit more positive. Look, it, the problem was this, and this is what made it so, um, so damaging as a crisis. It, it, it felt like an accordion. It became sort of what we used to call accordion economics, which was, you know, open, close, open, close, open, close, with various waves. Right. You know, um, you, you get this sort of feeling that things are going to get better. Yeah. Um, and they sort of start to move. But you have to remember, airlines had shut down most of the capacity. Excellent. Many countries had crazy sort of um, rules to be able to get into the country, if at all, or even leave um, their home countries. So... The, the complexity was phenomenal. So, so even when you started to feel, ah, maybe there's some good news we're coming out of this, it would get shut again because there was some new wave. Exactly. So, so, you know, even as recently as early this year in 2020, let me remind you, there was the Omicron um, variant and other variants that came after that. So this open, close, open, close was very damaging. Was there a point where you were feeling, listen, you know, we should really rethink and this is never going to end and we need, we need to kind of rethink the whole model? Look, rethink the whole model, I'd say there are two things. Um, um, the first was, do we believe that full immersion is here to stay? We genuinely believe that full immersion is here to stay because we still think, feel it's the best way to really learn a language. There are huge swathes of the, of the populations around the world that want to learn English because they know it, it's going to make their lives better, their jobs better, and so on. So we knew it was here to stay. The question was, how soon is it going to come back? Now, in the interim, we obviously pivoted into online. So we, we created what we called at the time EC Virtual. We're now right. calling it we're now calling it EC Live, um, uh, where we had sort of thousands of students coming into that, and that's here to stay. It's a new model for us, but the reality is, it was giving us a fraction of the turnover oh. we're getting from our normal model. So um, you know. I, I would say those first few weeks were critical because in those first few weeks we said I had to say to I had to come to this realization and say, you know, are we going to throw in the towel or are we going to fight? And I decided I'd rather die fighting okay. Okay. than give up. And and so from that point on, it was clear we were going to fight this till okay. the end. And, and management was following you. Management was fully behind me. Mm -hmm. It was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I would say one of the sole things, if I had to point at one thing that that saved us, it was the culture of our organization. Right. Okay. Because those people, fought, I mean, I call them my warriors. Those people fought tooth and nail right. with 
you know, fractions of their packages, we're doing two or three jobs yes. to get us through this crisis. And it's, it's that culture that's helped yeah. save the organisation. And a culture which you had built, of course, over time, you know, when things were obviously much better. But now it's kind of really tested, essentially, I guess. It was tested to the limits. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the stress was, I, I can't even start to describe how intense the stress was. People were working round the clocks. We remember holding these meetings, which were good for Los Angeles time course, and, and, course, and yeah. you know, Auckland time. Even so finding a time meetings at 10 at night, 11 yeah. at night, seven in the morning, six in the morning. People were stressed. I actually had one person that died in, in June of 2020 of a massive heart attack, I'm sure caused by the stress, which was okay. terrible, you know what I mean? Getting calls from his wife to sort of say that Ricky had died. So, you know, the stress we're all under was just phenomenal. You know? But I guess there is some positive that came out of the whole story. Can you tell Absolutely. us something about that? Absolutely. We're here to tell the story. And that's, I think, one of the biggest positives. Um, look, EC is a great brand. It's, it's a brand that's really, you know, I'd say loved and respected around the world today. It's been built rock by rock, you know, from a Maltese foundation, which we're really proud of. You know, I mean, in 2019, what I didn't mention is we were one of the top three full immersion brands internationally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a great story. It's a great brand that promises things and delivers on those promises to its clients. And, and it's great to see that we've made it through this and we're going to start re we're rebuilding that, that, that organi this organization already. We've learned a lot more about teaching online as well, which we're going to continue doing. We're now venturing into new areas in virtual reality, which are really exciting. Okay. Um, we've, we've, we've also learned about sort of what we want to be as a healthy organization when we come back fully. You know? Okay, what, what does that mean, a healthy organization? I mean, I think... I think, look, when you're running a multinational organization without the sort of size of Microsoft <laughs> or Amazon, which, you know, we're ultimately a small to medium-sized organization, um, there's a lot of complexity. And, and complexity with it brings cost. Um, but it also brings wastage. And, and I think before we entered this, into this crisis, I had seen there was wastage that needed to be, you know, needed to be stopped, and and um, and we need to become more efficient. We needed to use technology more to do things to reduce cost. So I think as we come back, I think we'll be a much healthier company. Kind of learning from 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 that experience. Are you moving more into and using making technology much more central to the to the business today? Is that one of the outcomes? Technology is definitely going to be more central to our organisation. I think that the process started some years back. It probably started about 10 years ago um, but I mean yes it would be certainly much more central in terms of a how we run the company um, B um, these sort of modalities that we use to teach okay. it's not just going to be a class physical mm -hmm. classroom it will be a virtual classroom it will be an online classroom absolutely in terms of you know what you've learned in this journey about I don't know managing people for example you know a lot of our you know listeners and viewers are people who are involved in international companies or interested in internationalization in some way what would be you know your advice as to what you've learned about you know managing people in such a crisis situation be honest be honest um, you've you've got to be honest but you've also got to be there has to be optimism. You have to have some optimism. Mm -hmm. So uh, I 
I, I was more of an optimist before the crisis. I'll be honest with you, okay. I've become a little bit more pessimistic after going through this. But I would say surround yourself with pessimists okay. because you need pessimists around you. Why, who, who, who question all the time and who, doubt yeah, who all say, the time. It could be worse. Okay. I can tell you in February when we started modeling, we did three rounds of modeling. And every time, by the time we'd finish our modeling, which would take about two yeah. weeks to yeah. model sort of a complex organization, news would have caught up so much yeah. that our numbers looked ludicrously positive exactly. and optimistic. Yeah. They're not negative enough. Yeah. So, so, you know, you, I think you need to surround yourself with, with enough pessimists and make sure you're not all optimists. But you need optimism and you need to share good news with people because we could absolutely 100% rely on the dear media around the world to give us all the bad news. Yeah, exactly. And there was a lot of bad news. And people need to hear that, you know, there is light at the end exactly. of the tunnel. How has the crisis changed you, Andrew, as a, as a leader of an organization of this kind of size? Look, I mean, I think, you know, I think I fared reasonably well as a leader on the crisis. Um, it certainly took its toll. I think, you know, it's... It, it's, it's definitely it's taken its toll on me. Um, uh, our friends came from places we never thought. Okay. And the people we thought maybe were friends um, sort of were running. Yeah. Crisis, the crisis tests all, all these things. So I think I've seen, I've seen amazing things in people, positive, but I've also seen some amazing negative. And, you know, there is an element of sort of cynicism that, that, that does can, can set in. Exactly, in, in a situation like that, you mean? Correct. I mean, the situation that happened in early July of 2021 in Malta, for me, is unforgivable. Okay. How a, a country that, you know, was weeks before going out and offering vouchers and making a big noise about vouchers for people to come to Malta and, you know, um, People flocked to Malta because it was one of the only open places, properly open. And then we got a little blip in COVID numbers and, you know, we were unceremoniously shut down one week or one and a half weeks into our high season okay. as the only industry in Malta that was shut down. Exactly. You know, for me, that's unforgivable. Yeah, that's something you did. And the whole industry re realizes that was unforgivable. I imagine so. And many, many people were off running, you know. I mean, I think other industries that hadn't been shut down, which is pretty much most of the country, um, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were scared to sort of stick their head out of yeah. the parapet or uh, above the trench and say, you're treating these people unfairly. Exactly. One last question I have, Andrew, for you is, you know, again, for people who are, you know, companies face different kinds of crisis, okay? Not of this magnitude, hopefully, but other forms of crisis. What would be your, you know, three words of advice as to how a CEO or leader of an organization should face, you know, a crisis in, in, in principle or in tactics in whatever level you want? Very simple. Never, ever, ever, ever give up. You have to keep hammering away. Andrew, thank you for sharing with us your experience of navigating an international company out of a crisis. That was Andrew Manjohn, founder of EC Language, on turning a crisis into an opportunity. If you found this podcast useful, we have others on innovation, talent, and what we can learn from sport. You can find them on Spotify, on International Insights, or in video format on YouTube. This podcast series is produced for Trade Malta and is meant to provide insight to leaders involved in international business in any sector. The podcast 
are made possible thanks to HSBC and their international business financing solutions. We get technical help from Studio 7. Thanks for listening.